0: Welcome to episode 17 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of the What When Wine Diet, Paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, If it's that time, and get ready for the intermittent fasting podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome. This is episode number seventeen of the intermittent fasting podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And how are you, Jen? Are you back in school? Back in the swing of things?
1: Yeah, we're getting getting back started. Um, it's hard to go from summer to teach remote. I think they need to ease us back in. It's, I actually worked two days last week and, and that's it. I'm back on, back on full, full working. So I'm going to have to get used to getting up early every single day. I think we should have like half days for a
0: while. Oh yes.
1: Half days every day. <laughs> yeah. For a while. Just get us used to it. That'd be great. But yeah. Yeah. I also write, just right in time, finished uh, my first draft of my second book. And the scariest part is my husband is reading it. So <laughs> Oh, my. Well, he's, um, you know, I have a doctorate in gifted education, but he is a Ph.D. medicinal chemist. So he um, teaches organic chemistry. He's a scientist. He does drug design. So I have, I guess, you know, peer review scientist on staff here at my house. So he's reading it. And this one has a little more science in it than my first book. So that's the part that, you know, I'm like, oh, gosh, I hope, you know, I get the husband's seal of approval
0: first. That's exciting. (laughs) That's, like, perfect, though. I'm, I'm kind of jealous that you have I know. that resource built in.
1: I really am very fortunate to have that because, you know, I'm an elementary teacher. I have a master's degree in science. I was a science teacher for a while. But, you know, my husband, he knows. And sometimes I'll explain something and he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or he'll even – I was listening to something else. It was like a doctor explaining something and he went, no. <laughs> oh Just because, you know, when you're looking at it from a chemistry side. Yeah you know, we all have our ways of understanding something and um we'll we'll overgeneralize and he'll he'll see the chemistry flaws and things. And he understands of course how the body handles um compounds since his degree is medicinal chemistry. He does drug design. So it's very
0: fascinating. That's amazing. Yeah. I want that built in resource. Well, you
1: know, <laughs> when you're when you're meeting men from in the future say, um, what's my is criteria? <laughs> You, know, you want someone who <laughs> understands all that, but are you a certified
0: chemist? <laughs> there you go, or something, you know.
1: <laughs> but yeah, he has all that background, which is really nice because, you know, as someone who's not a doctor, you know, we both understand that there's a lot going on by bi- with the biochemistry in the body and physiologically, you know, there's a lot.
0: Yeah, I've always thought that, um, I think our health system, our healthcare system would be in a better place almost this is kind of a generalization but if instead of doctors we had like science people i don't like people who understand really are more into like that side of things like the um i don't i don't know how to say it well i know yes i know what you mean because well
1: the doctors um study how to treat things and prescribe medicines but they don't always understand what's going on you know, inside, like when my husband was getting his Ph.D., this is the part that really opened my eyes early on. This was back in the, um, the late 90s. He was getting his Ph.D., and as part of his, um, I mean, when you're getting your Ph.D., they'll, they'll pay you. You'll have to do certain things, but they'll pay for your schooling. So he had to work at the poison control center, oh, and wow. he would get phone calls at the poison control center from, like, emergency room doctors and physicians, and they were, like, asking how to, you know, what to do. With certain things and I was like they don't know Wow! <laughs> yeah the fact that the poison control center was getting mm-hmm. calls from the hospitals who didn't didn't know that just opened my eyes that you know they're they're researching things too you know that no doctor understands everything right so wow. it's it's interesting you know and I guess that's why they specialize
0: yeah that makes sense yeah wow that's exciting though
1: it is but yeah well, he's reading it and he's like, yeah, this chapter on jeans, you got to cut this down some. Oh, wait. <laughs> he, he said it was too hard for him. So <laughs> He said it was what? Too hard for him. He said, I had to keep rereading it. I'm like, okay, that's a bad sign. That's not good.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations, though, on finishing the draft. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, what's up with you? Anything new? Same thing. I, well, actually, I'm getting tomorrow. I should be getting the first round of notes from my editor. Ooh. So I'm... She said she loved it. That's oh, all good. I good, That's good. all I got was like one sentence was, I love it. Yeah. Notes are coming Monday. So we'll see. <laughs> that's great. It's just, it's nerve
1: wracking because it's like you've put it out there and now people are judging it. It's really the scariest thing in the world to have someone read something you've written.
0: It is. Yeah. I agree. That and then um, I'm working on the recipes still and the wine pairings. So that's exciting. And then I, I will just say, just to clarify as per usual, so this is the new version of my of the Watwin Wine Diet. The old version of my book is selling for like hundreds of dollars because it's no longer available. Please don't buy that. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying that to people. Um, yeah, you can pre order the new one. It's like seventeen dollars, not like five hundred. Yeah, if
1: you really want to buy something right now, by delay, don't deny that one's <laughs> Yes, exactly. Exactly.
0: Kitchen's <laughs> book for yeah, now. Yeah, there forget. you go. Pre order mine, you can kitchen's right away. Well, we have a lot of questions. Shall we jump into everything? Yes, let's do. Okay, so what we thought we would do to start, we have three questions from three listeners, and they're all sort of related, so I'm going to read all of them. They're not too long, and then we will address them. So the first one comes from Angela. Is it? What do you think? I don't know. It might be Angelia.
1: It looks like Angelia. So Angela
0: or Angelia. Angelia, Angelia. Angelia. It's a very pretty name. It is. (laughs) Um, And the subject is lemon water and apple cider vinegar. And she says, Hi there. I recently started IF about two weeks ago. I am so glad I found your podcast. I have a question about lemon juice and apple cider vinegar during the fast. I've heard conflicting reports that drinking lemon water and apple cider vinegar first thing in the morning is great for overall health. I also heard that drinking lemon water and apple cider vinegar starts the digestive process, thus interfering with the fast. I currently follow sixteen eight, which is she fasts for 16 hours and eats for 8 hours, and break my fast around noon, but I wasn't sure if I should continue drinking lemon water and apple cider vinegar first thing in the morning or wait until noon. What is your take on this? I am so glad I found your podcast. Keep up the great work. Okay, so that's question one. And so our second question comes from Leslie, and she says, I have just recently discovered IF, and I'm very much enjoying your podcasts. I started IF today. I am trying a feeding period of 5 to 6 hours beginning at 5 o'clock p.m. through 9 to 10 p.m. Here's my question. I usually keep a large, swell bottle of water that I put half a lemon and half a lime in, and I just add water all day to that same bottle all day. Is this going to cause an insulin response and break the fast? Thanks for your help. So you guys might be sensing a trend here. (laughs) (laughs) And our third question comes from Kelly, and her subject is water and I-F. And Kelly says, I found your IF podcast last week, and I've listened to them all at this point. I started my first IF five days ago, started with 14 hours, and today I am up to 16 hours. I am not a huge fan of plain water. Can I add fresh lemon or lime juice with non-negative consequences? Also, I have had a headache. How long do you estimate until I am over that hump? Looking forward to upcoming podcasts. All righty. So lemons and limes and water and all the stuff. Oh,
1: yes. We we get this all the time. In fact, yesterday I think I answered it three times on the, <laughs> on the Facebook groups. And, in fact, people had, like, a big argument because they were like, look, at, it's already been answered. And then people were arguing. And I was like, y'all, come on. <laughs> but, yes, people literally ask this three times a day about especially lemon and lime and um, – also the apple cider vinegar. I have actually written a blog post about this and we will link this in the show notes and the blog post is Can I Have Blank When Fasting? Now, as Kelly mentioned, as we've discussed on other episodes, you don't want to spike your insulin when you're fasting and based on the research that I've seen, sweet tastes will cause you to spike your insulin. Now, the key is this. What does your body perceive as a sweet taste versus mine? I mean, we know that We don't all perceive things exactly the same way. So that's where there's something I like to call the gray area. And believe it or not, some people are fine with lemon and lime and apple cider vinegar, and some people are not. So in my blog post, you'll see my recommendation that first I recommend you start with what we call a clean fast. I'm also writing a new blog post about this. It's not out yet, um, but it will be by the time this, um, this episode airs. But a clean fast means you're just having plain water, plain sparkling water, Plain black coffee, plain tea, nothing sweet, nothing fruity. And when you get used to having a clean fast during the adjustment period, you know, maybe your first three weeks of fasting, you're going to know what that feels like. Once your body adjusts to fasting, you're going to know what it feels like during the day. That's when you want to try to experiment. That's when you want to say, hey, what does lemon do for me? Because then you'll know right away if it works for you or if it doesn't. If you start from day one with lemon, you won't have any idea of how it's affecting you. Um, You might have, for example, you might think that fasting is just really, really hard if lemon makes you hungrier personally. And then you'll think, I can't do intermittent fasting. This doesn't work. And the problem is not that intermittent fasting doesn't work for you. The problem is that lemon doesn't work for you. So you'll never know... How it feels to do a clean fast, unless you have experience with one. So, yes, I know it's boring. And, you know, I like to say fast should be boring. We're not trying to have, you know, a flavor adventure during the fast, but (laughs) um, you just want to have your body fast, clean. Once you know what that feels like, then experiment. You know, apple cider vinegar, I really wish I could have that during the fast. You know, now that I no longer drink the hot flavored teas like I used to, because I realized they made me hungrier. In the wintertime, I wanted to have, you know, hot tea of some sort. And plain tea doesn't excite me. So I tried hot apple cider vinegar tea, like you put like hot apple cider or put apple cider vinegar in hot water. And I loved the taste of it, but it made me so hungry, like immediately. And so I knew I can't do this. But some people have no trouble with it. So you just have to figure out. And it's not so much necessarily that it's causing an insulin response. With apple cider vinegar, I think it's actually the opposite. Um, One of the properties of apple cider vinegar is that it lowers blood sugar. So if you think about it, if I've got, um, you know, any level of blood glucose circulating during my fast and I'm like feeling great and then I drink something that lowers my blood sugar, that may cause me to feel a crash and like now I'm hungry. So um, it could disrupt you know what's what's going on in my body. So as for Kelly, one thing I wanted to add she doesn't like plain water. That's why I drink sparkling water. My favorite is San Pellegrino. I also drink Lacroix. Make sure that it's plain and not flavored as I just explained because you <laughs> want to make sure you're doing the clean fast without the flavors. You can try you know lemon sparkling water later after you know what a clean fast feels like, you'll know if it's a problem for you. It will not, you know, be something you're not sure about. You'll know. Um, Kelly also mentioned that she has started five days ago with intermittent fasting and she has a headache, and that's, of course, part of the adjustment period. You've got to give your body time to learn how to access your stored fat. How long that takes is different for everyone, you know, a couple weeks, three weeks maybe, and then you should be feeling better. Pushing through the adjustment
0: period is often the hardest part. All right, so what do you think about all that, Melanie? I think you answered it perfectly. (laughs) Um, I will just throw in, if lemon juice or lime juice, if it does work for you, there are a lot of health benefits to it. I don't see anything wrong with it if if it's not spiking your insulin and not making you hungry. I did do a little bit of research on lemon juice and lime juice, and it's good for blood pressure. It has anti-cancer, antiviral properties. Obviously, most people know it's really high in vitamin C. But something I did see was that the polyphenols in lemon juice are responsible for they, – they, they do affect – this would be something to add on to the whole insulin issue. Apparently, they do affect glucose and fatty acid metabolism, or they can, um, in the liver. And the, the study I was reading was way – intense, I would probably need your husband to interpret it for me. <laughs> but <laughs> these small little pieces that I did get from it was that it, it uh, the polyphenols and lemon do somehow affect the glucose and fatty acid use. So that, I don't know how that's going to manifest for each individual personally. So it might catalyze your fasted state. On the other hand, it might make you more hungry or, um, have a negative effect. So I would say, like Jen said, you've just got to experiment. Well, start clean at the beginning without it and then experiment from there. Um, and I agree as well about the apple cider vinegar being slightly more tricky. You know, whenever your body thinks that you're going to be having food, it starts those
1: processes. And so, you know, if you're fasting, I believe you, that's one reason we want it to be boring. You don't want your body to think, Hey, I'm getting ready to have, you know, something delicious and that's that's the hard part because we you know we like to have that flavor for the entertainment purposes if nothing else but really that's could be defeating the purpose of the fast
0: so i think it's crazy too i actually like water tastes really good to me now yeah. like before before fasting before everything i couldn't really i mean water was just water but now i like really like the taste of water <laughs> during the fast um i think you become more in tune with it in a way I think that's very true
1: I think that people start to appreciate it just like you know black coffee we start to taste things in the coffee we never tasted before your taste buds change when you're not always throwing in you know all that flavored sweetened stuff and then you know I um was just telling someone this yesterday I drink um kefir I don't know how you say it is it kefir or kefir I've never known I, don't know. I
0: hear I've heard kefir I've heard kefir well I I've don't even kefir. know kefir heard... it's
1: like a type of like liquidy kind of yogurty thing and I'll even, I buy the unsweetened yogurt now, like Greek yogurt, unsweetened. And I, I don't I don't need the added sugar anymore. Your taste buds really do change. And you start to recognize flavors that are in things that you didn't know were there before.
0: I don't know if anybody has tried M. Berry. Have you heard of this? I don't know what it is. M. Berry. So this will make you show just how much your the taste buds are in your head. Oh, or, I do know what this is. Go ahead. Yeah. So it's this compound from this fruit called the Miracle Fruit. I think it has another name as well. But um, so I have some of these. You can get like the, the – get, get it in tablet form and you put it on your tongue and then it makes sour and acid flavors taste sweet. It's completely mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. Like you put it in your mouth and then you taste, for example, like apple apple cider vinegar. Well, that's a bad example. It tastes like lemon juice and it will taste shockingly sweet or it tastes like right. sauerkraut and it tastes <laughs> – like, it's crazy the first time you try it. You can order them on Amazon. I actually
1: had some years ago. I tried it because I thought it was cool. But see, that's the point. The whole point of of the insulin and the sweet taste, it's that what your brain perceives is sweet. And so I bet that would cause an insulin release because your brain is going, hey, that's this a is good sweet. question. That
0: would be a fascinating yeah. study to conduct. That would
1: be one. I don't oh, know wow. anyone's done that, but it would be a very interesting study. Because, you know, the, one of the studies I referenced in, in my book, my first book, um, had to do with rats and they cut the the nerve receptor I think I mentioned this before but it, they cut the nerve receptor on the tongue and the insulin response stopped so it wasn't that the body knew it was sweet it was when the brain perceived that it was sweet so when they cut the nerve, there was no more hey something sweet's coming so like if you don't have any taste buds you know i don't I don't know so, or if I mean you don't have if your t- if your taste buds don't work, it really just has to do with what your brain is perceiving. All right, we're ready for the next one? Yes. This is a question from Heather. And Heather says Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for your contribution to the IF world. Your work has made it so much easier to wade into this lifestyle, and I am loving it. But I do have a question Why are my fasting blood sugars after 15 plus hours of fasting higher than after I eat? I am not diabetic. I've just wanted to see how IF affects my blood sugars, and the readings are really high. For instance, yesterday, my first reading was 99 at 1130 a.m., 15 plus hours fasting, and 110 at 2 o'clock p.m., 17 plus hours of fasting. What's happening? I read on Dr. Fung's site that this can happen when one is dropping significant weight, but I'm not. I've only lost 5 or 6 pounds this whole time. FYI, I strictly follow a more, quotation mark, Melanie diet <laughs> when I do eat whole foods, no refined sugars, no grains, very paleo. If you need more background, I started IF with a 16-8 window about two months ago. Slowly, I have narrowed my window to around six hours, opening it around one thirty to 2 p.m. and closing it around 7 p.m. My goal is to go to one meal a day and open around 3 p.m. I am five six and currently I weigh 182 pounds. Everything is going well. My body is adjusting. I have more energy. And as I mentioned, I have lost a little weight.
0: Thank you for any insight you can shed on this, Heather. All righty. So thank you, Heather, for your question. Two main things I think could be going on here. So a low-carb diet in general, or restricting carbs, which... That's going to happen in the fasted state. You're going to be in, obviously, a lower-carb state. Um, In general, that does improve insulin sensitivity, but on the flip side, it can also cause a sort of psychological insulin resistance. So here's what I mean by that. Basically, with the lack of sugar coming in, the lack of carbs, your muscles start utilizing fatty acids more so than glucose, so they they start refusing blood sugar to spare glucose for the brain because the brain does need a a little bit of blood sugar. That can actually cause higher blood sugar levels because um, the glucose in the bloodstream is not being taken up by the muscles in your body. So that could be something. So people on like low-carb diets specifically often see higher blood sugar levels, and it's because they're sort of insulin resistant but not in a bad way per se. Um, So if that (laughs) makes sense. But what I think it might be even more so than that, so when I started intermittent fasting, I had the same thing happen as well. I would have higher blood sugars, higher blood sugar levels always whenever I get my blood t- blood sugar tested. Um, and a main reason behind that could be that the fasted state can encourage the release of cortisol, and cortisol is going to spike a process called gluconeogenesis in the body. And so that's where your body, you don't need, (laughs) you don't need sugar to create blood sugar. Your body can make it actually from amino acids. And so that's the gluconeogenesis process that I talked about in the liver. So it's possible that the fasted state, your body is sensing a need for glucose. And so it's starting that gluconeogenesis process and raising blood sugar. So how can we deal with that? I don't think it's I I mean, I'm not a doctor. (laughs) I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. That said, we do want lower blood sugar levels in general. And so I have personally found, because I don't have this problem anymore, my blood sugar levels are actually really great now. And I actually found that, I don't know how low carb your paleo diet is, but since we're coming from a similar place there, I personally found that when I started eating more carbs in my eating window, that actually... I, th- I think really helped my cortisol rhythm um, and my patterns and I just <laughs> entered like a more like less stress state with less cortisol and less I think gluconeogenesis and high blood sugar as a result. I know that's not very science sounding but um, I would recommend maybe you could play around with what you're eating that might help something else that you can check like just blood test wise if you're if you're worried um you can check your hba1c levels and that's going to give you a bigger picture of how glucose over time is binding to molecules in your body and so that's going to give a better picture of if there is something going on that is potentially detrimental rather than just in the moment uh blood sugar levels so what are your thoughts on that Jen? Yeah, this is
1: a great question, and again, it's one that comes up all the time in the Facebook groups. We have a lot of people um, who actually are type two diabetics, and so they, um, you know, they've they've come to intermittent fasting hoping to lose weight, hoping to um, heal their underlying type two diabetes, and so. There is a fantastic blog post by Dr. Jason Fung, who she mentioned in her question, and so I actually we will link this blog post from from Jason Fung in our show notes because it's such a good one. It's called the Dawn Phenomenon, and basically, if if someone is diabetic, they may know that often they wake up in the morning and have a higher blood glucose level after they've been sleeping and there's there's lots of reasons for that and it does have to do like with Melanie said you know cortisol and all sorts of other things you know your body's getting ready to start the day but this also happens after a period of fasting just like um, and of course you're fasting while you're sleeping but in intermittent fasting you don't eat breakfast you keep fasting so like Heather said it got worse over the day you know her blood sugar was higher at 17 hours of fasting than it was at 15 hours of fasting and Dr. Fung explains it really really well He says, basically, you know, the sugar, you're obviously not eating. So the sugar has to be coming from somewhere within your body. So where's it coming from? And basically, we've got, you know, all sorts of stuff stored around in our body. We've got um, glycogen stored in our liver. We've got it stored in our muscles. And as your body is working through the day, it moves some of that sugar out of storage where you can't see it and into your bloodstream where you can see it and that's the way Dr. Fung describes it. So it's not that you have like more than you used to it's just somewhere different now and now you can measure it. So it it may seem alarming like oh my gosh my blood sugar is going up what's happening but he actually considers that it's a good thing because you want to get this excess sugar out of your body so your body can process it and then eventually you won't have all that stored of glycogen you'll have and your your insulin response can be normalized. So, I really recommend reading his blog post about it. It's called the dawn phenomenon. His blog is at intensive dietary management and he he handles a lot of um a lot of his patients have type 2 diabetes and so he's very familiar with this type of of situation and he he says that you shouldn't worry about it at all. It's very normal and read his explanation because I may have you know, said it in a way that, <laughs> that that may not... It's definitely not as well as he
0: explains it. I think you explained it, though, pretty well. Good. <laughs> I hope so. All right. So we can jump to the next question. This All one right. comes from Jennifer, and the subject is exercising in the fasted state, question mark. And she says, I have recently started the Eye of Lifestyle within the past month, and I found it pretty comparable to how I prefer to eat anyway. So the eating window transition has not been too difficult. My question to you is regarding exercising. I know it is supposed to be better for fat burning and muscle growth to exercise in a fasted state. I can tolerate walks and jogs just fine in the fasted state, but I also do aerial arts, which that's so cool. This is me talking. That is cool. (laughs) Um, And weightlifting. I am starting to notice a decline in performance if I participate in these activities during the fasted period. Would you recommend pushing through it to see if I adapt over time or moving some of the more intensive activity to take place in my fed state? Thank you for your time. I love the podcast and keep up the great work. All right. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for um, for your question. And,
1: yes, you know, you mentioned that you are still new within the past month, and I think that that's key. Your body is still adjusting to the, the whole, you know, ketosis and burning fat for fuel during the fast. So I know you're able to walk and jog just fine. But when you're doing more, you're seeing that decline in performance. Really, I would recommend that for now, keep pushing through. Just give yourself a couple more weeks and see. You may find that you adapt. And if not, then you could consider moving it around to see. I I predict that you will, though. I think that if you give it a little bit more time, you'll find that your body adapts. That would be my hunch after... You know, having all the members talk about how they they do with the fasted state, they really you know, are able to work out. The bodybuilders are able to do their bodybuilding. And it's just a matter of getting through that adjustment period, and then you'll you'll be amazed at how your body responds to that. That would be my hunch. But either way, you're just going to have to see how that goes with you. Give
0: yourself a couple of more weeks. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, I was going to say um, definitely going to have to find what works for you. I know for me personally, doing – any activity in the fastest state is always pretty much better for me, just no question. With the caveat that if for some reason I maybe didn't eat enough the night before, or um, it could be like a carbohydrate thing as well, um, I just want to make sure that you are eating enough. Since you you just started this new lifestyle, um, make sure that you're eating enough in your eating window to support your activity because that's a lot of Activity that you're doing. I mean, aerial arts. I, I Googled aerial arts and I was like, wow. Um, and then and the weightlifting as well. So I think rather than changing your exercise to the Fed state, I would suggest making sure you're getting enough food in your eating window and powering through and seeing if you do adapt, which I think you will, like Jen said. Um, but if not, I mean, there's nothing wrong with fiddling around and trying different things. So, yep. yep, yeah, that's right. All right, I
1: agree. Okay, our next question is from Ja, and I love that name, Ja, and her subject is IF beginners. This is a great one. I'm so excited. It's very very open-ended, which I love as a teacher, the teacher in me. What is the best piece of advice y'all can give to us that you learned the hard way when starting IF?
0: All right, Melanie, how about you? I know, I saw this. I was like, I like this. (laughs) I do, too. I love that kind of question. So I... I I have two things. I know she says one, but um, and I'm on the fence about these two things because I do think that they were very important for my transition to IF in a way. But I kind of wish I had let go of them sooner. So I wish that I had still done these two things, but not been so intense for so long about them. So the first thing is the eating times. When I very first started intermittent fasting, I was – ridiculously strict like to the second about eating times like I am not eating until it is exactly x amount of hours um since the last time that I ate I was just like so intense about it so on the one hand I think that was good because it did really force me into a very strict eating window which I think was good for creating the transition but I think I held on to that for a little bit too long um so if you are very strict by your eating times, I would encourage you not, you don't have to be like that for life. <laughs> uh, maybe just in the beginning. And then the second thing, is kind of similar. Um, when I first started intermittent fasting, I was super, super low carb, like super low carb. Like we're talking, I basically just ate meat and coconut oil and I thrived. I, it was fantastic, um, but I don't think it was good long term for me. I think that being really low carb, coupling it with intermittent fasting, on the one hand, I think it is great in the beginning because it automatically puts you into a fat-burning state, and again, makes the transition to IF much easier. On the other hand, I personally found that once I brought back some more carbs and lost my fear of carbs, that I slept better. Um, like I said, the blood sugar thing got better. My energy act- levels—I think they kind of changed in a way, but I think they got better. I, I don't know. It's very all, it's, this is all very anecdotal, um, but basically, so my best piece of advice is. If you are very strict about the things, use them in their time, which is good for the transition, but don't be afraid of change. And don't don't think that what you're doing, you have to do it forever. Like Keep in mind that what's working for you today might not be what works for you tomorrow. So I think being open to change is my thing. That's my one thing, being open to change.
1: Awesome. That's great advice. I love that advice because really it is a, a- – there's, we can't say, like, here is the exact way you must do it during these hours and with the, these foods because our bodies are all so different. So that's that's great advice. For me, the one thing we do all need to do the same is the clean fast. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that that absolutely – I learned that the hard way. And if you've heard me tell my diet story before, um, I tried dabbling in intermittent fasting from 2009 to 2014 and could never make it stick. And I genuinely now, knowing what I know, believe it was because I was trying it with artificially flavored beverages. I was trying it. I had the whole diet mindset of calories. And if I'm having zero calories during the fasting time, then I'm doing it right. And I didn't understand that even, you know, I was drinking sodas that were sweetened with stevia. And I was always fighting against the hunger and I was miserable. And for the blog post that I'm working on now about a clean fast, I asked the members of the group to... You know, does anybody have a story about themselves? I mean, I know with me, it made a big difference, but I put this out there and I had 58 people share a story just uh, within, you know, hours of me asking the question about how it made such a difference when they switched to clean fasting and they couldn't believe it. I mean, people talked about, just like with me, that we used to watch the clock and stare at the, and wait for it to be time to eat. And then as soon as you switched over to the clean fast, it became... Much more um, effortless it became. Um, really, just like fasting is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a constant battle with watching the clock and a constant battle with hunger. So, you know, if you're if you're worried about you know giving up your favorite things, your favorite diet sodas, your favorite sweeteners, I would encourage you. You're only hurting yourself because I really think that if I had could go back in time, if I could go back in time to 2009 and explain all this to myself, then I would have saved myself years of, of grief because I would have clicked with the lifestyle sooner and I wouldn't have had to keep trying it and white knuckling it through. And so the fasting becomes, you're not having to white knuckle through it anymore. It's just, you just are doing it when when you have that clean fast. So yeah,
0: that's it. That's my, my main piece of advice. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I actually, I had like an epiphany while you're... um Saying all that, I guess for me, I used to do, when I first started, I did the the artificial sweeteners during the fast. So I had like the fake sweet taste all during the day, but then I didn't have like carbs at night because I was super low carb. Whereas now I have no sweet taste during the day, but I eat actual sweet taste carbs at night. And I think that works a lot better for me. I think so
1: too. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) So I have the real thing. Um, But yeah, those are during during the window, the eating. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, awesome. Was a great question. I love that. Yeah. All right. So our next question it comes from Christine and the subject is the hangries. And Christine, <laughs> I, I, I love that word. Christine says, "I am loving the IF podcast and and am binge listening since discovering it yesterday. My interest in IF was sparked by listening to an interview with Dr. Jason Fung. I didn't realize we had him twice today, know, or three <laughs> He's times. Up even everywhere he is, <laughs> um, author of the Obesity Code. My question is this." I'm one of those people who gets crabby and hostile when I'm hungry and develop a headache if I wait too long to eat. But I really want to try IF and and I'm totally intrigued by the science behind it. Do you have any suggestions for handling the headaches and mood swings from not eating? Any advice you can provide would be greatly appreciated. All the best, Christine. Great question,
1: Christine. And again, this is the main thing that I hear from people who are – are scared of the idea of starting an intermittent fasting lifestyle because we all have experienced the hangries. We all have experienced the headaches and the feeling like we need to eat right now. And so you, you feel like that's the way it's going to feel forever, and it isn't. And that's what's so amazing about intermittent fasting. That really does just last during the adjustment period, and then your body figures out what to do. And what's incredible that people don't really maybe even believe until they've experienced it. You don't have this feeling anymore after you start the intermittent fasting lifestyle and your body adjusts. So like I'm going to think back to when I was a frequent eater and I had breakfast and snacks and lunch and snacks and dinner. I would get this feeling throughout the day and like I can remember if, if you know, I felt like it was time to eat and I had to wait for an extra 30 minutes. I was like, I'm literally going to die. I'm going to die. I've got to eat right now. And it was a different kind of hunger, like a crazy feeling kind of hunger But you honestly don't get that when you're doing intermittent fasting after the adjustment period. At first, though, yeah, you're gonna get it. But I promise you, um, Christine, and anyone else who's listening, if you're afraid of this, you're gonna have just, it's gonna amaze you how much better you feel once you get through that adjustment period. And you are no longer gonna have this during the day. It might take you two weeks, three weeks, you know, to get there. You know, the clean fast will help. But once you do, you're gonna be able to just go through your day. And not even think about food till it's time to open your window, and I am so much less hungry than before. You know, one day this week I um, had something that I was doing at 6 six thirty, and I normally open my window four or five o'clock, somewhere around in there. But I had something that I was doing at six thirty, and I wanted to be mentally sharp, so I didn't eat till after that, and I felt great you know, even though it was later than I normally eat, I didn't have the hangries at all and I could have kept going. So once your body is fat adapted and you learn or your body learns how to burn the stored fat, you're not going to have this problem.
0: Yeah. I really, I like this question because she actually, most of our listeners I feel have started IF and they have our, they have their questions, but she hasn't started it yet. So it's, this is just kind of a fear or an anticipation, um, like Jen said, I promise you once you adapt, it's, it's mind-blowing in a way about how different it feels. You're not – your mood, at least for me, stabilizes so well um, and it's so good for headaches. So it's really – I know it's scary and it seems like it's going to be really intense and crazy, but I promise you that you can adapt and adjust. Um, I'd encourage you though, definitely, my one piece of advice that you can implement is staying busy. I think that's – most helpful uh thing to transition to if and avoid the mood swings and the headaches because when you're staying active you're really just catalyzing that that fasted state and you're upregulating energy and and it just really helps for feeling good so do what you love stay busy don't be scared (laughs) you'll be fine um yeah and let us know yeah i would love for her to let us know follow
1: up let us know how it goes I wanted to add, I, I thought about this and I forgot to mention it, but in Delay, Don't Deny, I have some strategies that you can read in the chapter about the eating window approach. So you can read that and see there are some ways to ease the transition a little bit. And, um, you know, one of them, you know, I'm, I don't eat low carb. I don't promote that people should eat low carb either, as, as we've talked about before. And I'm not saying that eating low carb is wrong if that's the way you choose to eat, but, um, as a part of the adjustment period, you could choose to start with low-carb breakfast, lunch, and then a regular dinner. And then eventually, because that kind of transitions your body into the fat-burning state, then gradually drop the breakfast and you're having maybe a low-carb lunch and then um, a regular dinner. And then gradually, you know, push back the lunch too. That's just a way that might help you ease into the transition period. Or even like, you know, we don't recommend bulletproof coffee during the fast, but as part of the adjustment period, you could add it with the idea that you're going to slowly drop it as your body gets used to the fat burning. But those those suggestions are in are in delay, don't deny, um, and with the idea that you're gradually easing yourself in. Now, some people prefer to go cold turkey <laughs> and just, boom, start, you know, get through it, like ripping off the
0: Band-Aid. So you just have to decide how you'd rather approach it. For me, I went cold turkey, and that works the best for me because I'm an extremist. Um, but I, I as well have very similar to you a section on if you do want to transition slowly. Uh, and one of them, actually, in the new book, I'm gonna have a an actual like chart jumpstart guide where you can slowly uh, shorten or change your windows so that you can transition to an IF pattern over a week or so. And it's actually um, I like what you said. I really like what you said about the uh, eating the low carb during the day to kind of start that change. It reminds me. I actually just finished. adrenal reset diet book have you read that one i haven't read that one no it was good um but he advocates not fasting but he advocates eating just in general as a lifestyle practice for the adrenals eating low carb during the day and then carbs at night to get that that rhythm going so that made me think of that also i will just say i know um i personally do love the bulletproof coffee brand of coffee so i do drink that but i don't drink it with the um the additive added the added stuff. Right. Yes. Right. I just want to throw that out there because I love that, that brand of coffee. Yeah. It's it's
1: high quality coffee. It's really good.
0: Yep. Yeah. All right. Shall we jump into our last question?
1: Yes, one more question. And this one is from Tom. And the subject is I F and H I I T, high intensity interval training, right? Is that what it That's is?
0: That's
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I am doing 20 minutes of HIIT training three times a week. I'm also doing 16 hours of fasting daily except for Saturdays. I feel great in my health. I feel great. My health measurables are very good. I feel like since I'm doing the training that the eight-hour feeding window should work. Am I correct? I'm 57 years old, and I have about 12 pounds I would like to lose.
0: Thanks, Tom. All right. Well, thank you for your question, Tom. I actually got really excited about this question because I, one of the last sections I worked on for the new version of my book was the exercise section, and I did a ton of research <laughs> on a high-intensity interval training, so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that so people could learn a little bit about that because it's quite fascinating. Um, so basically what it is, it's where you alter alternate brief periods of intense activity followed by brief rest periods, and you do it in total for a relatively very short amount of time, like maybe 20 minutes total. Um, So you might like – people do it differently, but you might like all-out sprint for like 30 seconds and then just walk for like 30 seconds. There are a lot of different ways to do it. Um, But basically, it's kind of crazy what how good – or everything that it can do in the body because it combines the benefits of aerobic and anaerobic exercise. It's kind of like the benefits of high-intensity cardio coupled with the benefits of um, slow endurance walking or training. And so it's good for insulin sensitivity and blood sugar stabilization and your heart. And I actually found one study that said they proposed that that was the only that doing HIIT was the only way a athlete that had plateaued at a certain level of fitness could um, increase their fitness by increasing their VO two max, which I thought was really interesting. They literally said in the study, "This is the only way an athlete could like move beyond their current state was by implementing HIIT." Um, it's also really crazy for fat burning, and it also has this other thing, the afterburn effect. Have you heard of this? I don't know maybe <laughs> I,
1: I am not i I just have to say my disclaimer, I am not a big exerciser actually i'm not, I'm, been, not so I'm, I'm not either i'm not either i don't I haven't read a lot about exercise. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I've read
0: every book about what you can eat, but as far as exercise, I read it when I need to, but no, I don't know the afterburner. No, same page, same page. That's the reason, that's one reason though. I am fascinated by this is because I think it gives you the benefits of traditional exercise with like minimal commitment in the best way.
1: I did hula hoop today, though I did.
0: But yeah, but you know,
1: I'm even like the kind of things I think about when we're reading H I I T. Like, do people say it hit or something? I was like, are we gonna? Do I sound like I don't even know what I'm talking about? Is it hit? I don't know. know. So if if I'm saying it wrong, look, I am not an exerciser, extremely, and you know, an extreme exerciser, and I want to make sure everybody understands that. But we we both have read a lot about it, Melanie and I have. Yeah,
0: I kind of do it more casually, and actually, in my book one of the ways i have that you can do it instead of like going to the gym and um doing this intense version of it is that you could just put on a song and then basically during the verses you are slow or you're just like not, you know not moving as much and then um or you're walking and then during the chorus you just like all out dance and then you just like alternate and you can do that with songs i
1: did that when i had um I had a exercise bike that I ended up, you know, becoming a big clothes hanger in the bedroom. But I would ride it as hard as I could for like ten seconds, twelve seconds, and then I would you know, do the slow pace because I, I remember reading how good it was for you to have the interval, the interval training, and you
0: really have to just go as hard as you can for that that period of time. I like doing that in like life now. I think that's how I implement it. Like sometimes I'll like run from my car to my apartment. <laughs> I'd be like, "This is my HIIT or my HIT, whatever." There you go. <laughs> There you go. But I will say it so the afterburn effect, just because it's really interesting. So um, I don't now. I don't even know how to say it. Hit. I'm gonna call it hit. Um, so it upregulates catecholamines, which are responsible for unlock unlocking fat stores and increasing fat burning. And they actually can remain elevated for 16 to 24 hours after you do the hit. And in addition to that. For 16 to 24 hours, the body can work to remove excess uh, lactic acid and resynthesize glycogen and rebuild muscle oxygen. So basically, you can keep burning fat for hours and hours and hours afterwards, which is just kind of awesome. Um, So that was a huge, like, big tangent on hit. For your question, Tom, (laughs) uh, if you're feeling great, which you said you are, and your health is great, then I think you're fine. Like why fix what's not broken? That's a really short answer. But right? (laughs) I don't see any reason to change if it's working for you. How about how about you, Jen? Yeah, he mentioned that he's doing sixteen hours of fasting
1: daily except for Saturdays. And you know, a lot of a lot of times, you know, if you don't have a lot of weight to lose, or men actually in general don't don't need quite as much fasting for weight loss as as women do, um, that seems to be the pattern. Men tend to do better with an eight-hour feeding window, and of course, there are plenty of women who do great with an eight-hour feeding window. I'm not saying that you can't, but many women do find they need shorter, a shorter eating window than eight hours to find success. But that's just it's something to keep in mind. If if you're finding success, then it's working for you, and so you know it sounds like you're taking one day off maybe you know just see if you're meeting if you're meeting your goals with that approach if you're going to meet your goals with that approach then it's then it's working but if you find that you're not losing weight then i would say that you probably need to add it to doing it 7 days a week um at least till you meet your weight loss goals and then once you get to where you want to be you know for health purposes you can you know maybe drop the saturday if you would like to but it's really just a matter of you know i can't tell you what what's going to work, you know, what pattern of fasting. You just have to experiment and see. My hunch is probably what you're proposing here, eight-hour eating window, six days a week with Saturdays off with three days of high-intensity interval training. That may work great for you. But if not, you know, the places to tweet, shorten that window even on Saturday. And you may even find eventually that you're you're happy with a six hour window, even you know most days of the week. um my husband is very lean and he's doing pretty much an eight hour eating window with sixteen hours fasted just because a he feels so much better and b you know I've convinced him so much of the health benefits that he wants those health benefits so you know he he doesn't need to lose weight, but he's he's fasting because it's so good for you, so that would just be my. My thoughts on that but yeah you just have to see how it goes it sounds like a
0: great plan awesome 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 (laughs) well these were all wonderful questions and if you have your own questions for the podcast there's two ways that you can do that you can email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to our website which is also ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there also, for any of the studies that we talked about today or any of the products, like if you want to try out that Mberry that I talked about um, or anything like that, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 17, and there will be show notes there with everything that we talked about So, yes, and then lastly, um, if you have a moment and you're on iTunes, we would love, love, love if you could write a review of the podcast. It really just helps so much for spreading the word and building credibility. We just would really love that, and we thank you so much in advance for that. So any other questions or any other questions? (laughs) I have questions on my mind. Any uh, other thoughts from you, Jen?
1: No, I think it was a great episode, and we're getting some wonderful questions, and I, I really
0: enjoy answering them. Yes, please keep them coming. I love them. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, everybody. And we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.